We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC. Choose UPMC for your family's health care needs close to home. Visit UPMC.com slash Central PA for a complete list of services and locations. Grief. It's a topic that we dug into during the holiday season with my mom back in December. And sudden loss, which is described as by Johns Hopkins Medicine as death that happens unexpectedly and suddenly, like a fatal accident or heart attack, leaving survivors with unresolved issues and pain and a range of emotions, including anger, guilt and loss. And on The Spark today, we have with us three individuals to discuss this large and hard topic. Uh, first, we have Oliette Murray Drobot uh, to discuss the losing of her father at the age of seven to murder. Um, and we also have Kira St. Clair, who lost a family member in a tragic fire. And then on the back half of the show, we speak with Deb Gonzalez, a grief counselor with Pathway Center for Grief and Loss. And then we bring it all together in our fourth segment, uh, where we will have a overall discussion on grief and sudden loss. I want to thank you all for joining us on The Spark today, especially with this uh, very, very Tough, tough topic. Uh, so, um, Kira, we'll start off with you. Um, first and foremost, thank you for for joining us on the Spark today. Yeah, no problem. It's great to be here. Yes, yes. So, um, so just um, starting off. All right, uh, can you share with us the story of your brother, and 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 how you felt during that day? So it was actually kind of. Um, just a wild thing in general, because there were a lot of like I- irony, you know, around all of it. So mm. um, it was one of those days I'd wake up very early. I was actually about to go to a Christian camp at the time um, with a youth, a youth group. And um, so I got up early and the day before I was talking to my parents about how um, they wanted to bring him over to my grandmom's house, like bring my brother over to my grandmom's house because we would be gone for a little bit. And um as I'm packing, I kept having these feelings where I'm like, I should, you know, wake him up. Maybe we should take him over. We shouldn't let him sleep in the house. Like, um, I should say good morning, at least just kind of see if he wants to come with, you know, all of those little thoughts. And I kept having those little weird feelings. Um, but as I'm packing up, I'm like, I must just be nervous for, you know, this thing I'm about to do is a whole new adventure. Mm. And I kept going back into the house and then kind of leaving and we finally leave and I'm I end up on a bus to New York so I wasn't directly there um but my I get a okay sorry it started with my camp counselor was crying on the bus mm. I didn't know what was going on had some weird feelings going on then I get a snapchat actually which is social media I have many mixed feelings about it but um, I get a Snapchat from my neighbor with mm-hmm. pictures of my house burning down oh of what's, gosh. and she asked me what's going on. And I didn't know. <laughs> I, I told her like, I, I don't know. Like, can you let me know what's going on? Mm-hmm. And, um, that I actually found out through Snapchat. It was just a simple text that was just like, your brother's dead. And oh, then wow. my parents like hadn't been able to contact me or anything. So I didn't get the story until after they drove 10 hours to New York to get me. 
Mm. Um, but I come to find out, like, I guess our electrical had gone a little weird um, in the kitchen walls. And it unfortunately started a fire that just consumed everything. Mm. Um, and so my parents then told me my dad had tried to go back into the house um, to try and get into the, through the window. It's like my brother's um, room and he just mm -hmm. couldn't get to him. And my mom had showed up on the scene as soon as possible. And apparently it was just, it was a whole mess of just ambulances and there were preachers and just, you know, the whole, um, I guess, typical accident scene that you would see or like fire scene you would see. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I know there's been like a lot of um, processing just around that because I didn't get to technically see it, but I saw it through such a limited lens that it almost makes you imagine more. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um so so for yourself, I, I mean, you get that message and I know your your mind and imagination are are just running wild. Uh can can you take us to that moment and some of the thoughts that were going through your mind, especially after receiving this message through Snapchat? Yeah, so I honestly was at a McDonald's. Oh man. <laughs> um yeah, I was at a McDonald's because we were at a rest stop. I'm um, just trying to get some like food and water for this long bus ride. And so I'm at a McDonald's. I'm in the bathroom and I had some friends trying to comfort me because I was waiting on a snap back because I asked what happened to my little brother. Mm -hmm. And when I got the message, like I didn't care about what anybody thought. I really didn't. All I could think about in the moment was like what I just found out. So mm -hmm. I kind of like ran out of the McDonald's and just like banged on the window because I didn't know what to do with like all of that feeling. Yeah. So, um, just kind of like lost it for a second, honestly. Mm. And then I just kind of like had to sit on the sidewalk for an hour. And luckily I had like good people there that were like very willing to just sit with me. Mm. Um, and just kind of let me like work through it for a bit. Um, but there was there was just a lot of like anxiety around it. Like the thing is, it's like as soon as I saw the pictures of my house before I knew anything else, I just had this horrible feeling and it was like a literal two hour long full on anxiety attack, like just mm. pure like muscle, like I was just stiffened up and not feeling great. So I think in that moment, it was just kind of a release of like all of that mm. at once. If you don't mind me asking, um, how old were you um, when all of this was going on? So this was um, the summer going into my sophomore year of high school. I believe I was 15 mm. at the time. And um and can you tell us um also who who texted you to to let you know this? So it was my next door neighbor at the time. Okay. Um, a girl from high school mm. that I went to, and we honestly like we only ever talked on the bus rides when I, I used to ride the bus. Mm -hmm. And that yeah, so I didn't really know her that well, which I think almost made it worse. Yeah. Like nothing against her, I just think that made it worse because mm -hmm. I'm like, who are you to tell me this kind of information? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. So um uh so what support systems on uh, did you turn to during dur during these times? So I think I've been really blessed to just have um a various like cycle of people in my life that have just been in my life at the right times. Mm. And there's been the people who have stuck with me then for the next, like how many years slash to present. But then there's also been the people that I know, like they're really only meant to be in a chapter of my life, mm. but they were so needed. And I think like we kind of would tend to help each other. So I feel very blessed in that way where I've always had like some sort of support system, even if it's pe like people are changing within it. Mm. 
Um, but I feel like they were the type of people that would just know that talking about it didn't help me as much at the time, mm. uh, especially when I was younger, because I honestly wasn't able to process it at first. So they would just know when I wasn't okay. And they would just kind of take action and just be there for me, which was super helpful. Yeah. Um, were there any uh, friends, any neighbors, any family members that, that really stepped up uh, during during this time, um, during right now and fill in those gaps, especially dealing with this grief? Definitely. Um, I also just didn't say much about it. Mm. So I think it took people time to know um, fully, but. I don't know if like I should say names, but there were definitely like very specific like people throughout um, a lot. It was mostly friends, I'd say mm. there was a lot of community outreach for my parents. But um, that was kind of a struggle for me because I feel like I never got seen as like I'm struggling. So I ended up becoming like an intense people pleaser in that way where I would just kind of like try and take care of my parents and everyone else and not like focus on me with that because it was easier to focus on those. So it was just more so like I would say friends were helpful. Um, and then family tried, community tried, but it just didn't feel as like outreaching at the time or like, mm -hmm. it didn't feel like it really, you know, helped as much, um, even though they tried their best, which yeah. I can appreciate. And, and how were you, how are you coping today? Um, I, I definitely agree with the fate, the phrase that grief comes in waves, mm. um, because it really does just hit you at certain times. And there'll be times where I feel like, okay, I fully processed it. I'm, I'm okay now. And then other times where it's just a complete, it feels like it's almost starting over. Mm. And it, it really just, it changes. And you see things like on social media a lot about how like, well, losing someone who's still alive is worse. Like people say that so confidently, mm. but it's not something I feel as if you can even compare. Cause yeah. I've gone through both. <laughs> mm. And so like, it's not really comparable. And I don't love when people say things so boldly like that yeah. because it really does. It's all different. It all affects you differently. It all depends on the circumstances and it will hit you at different times in different ways. Mm. And I think that this kind of grief um, is it's become more underlying now. So like yeah. it won't hit me as harshly like I guess where it would make me cry randomly mm -hmm. or like where songs don't affect me as much now as they used to. Mm -hmm. But there's always that underlying like monologue in my head about it kind of thing. Mm. So Kara, I want to uh, thank you for, for just opening up to us uh, um, and, and really letting us uh, into uh, your, your space, into your mind, into your heart uh, dealing with this. And now we have Oliet Murray Drobot uh, to discuss the murder of her father when she was seven years old. So um, let's, let's start right there. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for joining us on The Spark today, Oliet. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes, indeed. So can you can you tell us what happened? Uh, yeah, um, it, it's happened so many uh, years ago. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were separated at the at the time. And uh, um, my dad had uh, moved moved back uh, home to this little small town in Arkansas. And um, at the time, I, his sister, my aunt, was dating a guy who had been abusive, uh, had been physically violent uh, with her a number of times. Mm. And there was an incident between the two of them. Um, things got out of hand. 
um, the the boyfriend um, pulled out a gun and just started shooting everywhere. Uh, everywhere. Oh, wow. And unfortunately, at that time, my my father was shot, mm. and so uh, he died on the on the scene. And um, uh, how has your uh, personal experience of of losing your father so soon? How how has that shaped you as a adult? Yeah, so I was a daddy's girl. I was mm. extremely close uh, to my father. He loved music, and we spent a lot of time together uh, listening to James Brown and Jimi Hendrix. So we would sing along and have, you know, these concerts. And he was uh, showing me uh, the latest dance moves, and so. It was um, just, uh, I, I can't even explain just this huge loss and this significant person missing from my, my life and, mm. you know, child development and being a child and, you know, and going through that development, right? That's a critical time, right? And so, yeah, um, it's just been something that's always been there. Um, it was sudden, didn't have really have time to even to process it. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the time, we're talking about many years ago, therapy really wasn't a thing. And so, you know, my mom was young. My mom was only 24, had mm. two kids. I was the oldest. And so we kind of just pushed through it. Um, you know, she was working. We're going to school, right? And it wasn't until many years later, well, I was dealing with some depression and I was seeing a therapist and just through a series of conversations, we realized that I had never really grieved my father's death. Mm. It was just something that happened and we just, you know, pushed through it and um, uncovered a lot of emotions that I had uh, uh, around it. And so I kind of went through this process, went to a grieving um, counselor, someone to help me process it. We had a ceremony for me to be able to say uh, goodbye to my father because I realized we had the funeral. But again, you know, it was just so busy and so many things going on that I, you know, at the time, being at such a young age, I could really process it. So, mm. and I realized, yeah, um, it's not really something I've really gotten over. It The days are much easier now. Uh, I've been able to celebrate his life in so many ways, mm. but that loss has led to the lot of work that I chose to do as a career. Yeah, and um, and we're going to um, get into the work that you're doing um, in just a little bit. Um, uh, I've been told that uh, grief isn't something that that you get over. Uh, it, it's something that you learn to live with. And and Kara, you brought up the point that um, it, it comes in waves. So for you. Oliette, how how did it or how does it come in waves? Because you were seven. Yeah, I would say it 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 certainly shows up for me at significant points in my life. You know, when I graduated from college, he wasn't there. You know, to uh, mm. help me celebrate that moment. Uh, when I got married, he couldn't walk me down the aisle. When I my father died when he was twenty seven. So when wow. I turned twenty seven. I sat with that and just realized the significance of that, mm. you know, being so young and uh, him no longer being with us. Um, there are certain things uh, I remember looking at a documentary. There was a lot of violence being portrayed. I just could not sit there and watch it. You know, there are certain things now 
after I've gone through a lot of therapy and everything, there are just certain things I can't really sit with and watch. There are certain songs, you know, Jimi Hendrix or James Brown comes up and there are mm. memories that pop up uh, for me. Yeah. Um, it is much easier now, but again, that feeling really never goes away. There's, uh, I kind of describe it as this hole that's there that mm. will never quite be uh, filled. It's it's always there. Yeah. Now I, I I've had um, many different discussions with my friends, and, and it's almost a different response every single time. Uh, when when you lose a parent early, um, and, and then you yourself uh, surpass your your parents' age, how? How did you feel at that time, knowing that you have uh, surpassed your your father's age? Yeah, I I felt really blessed. Mm. Uh, um, just a blessing of being able to, uh, you know, get older. Um, mm. uh, I, I think it's really helped me to be thoughtful. Um, I think I became a, pe- a people pleaser and an overachiever because mm. you know I'm here. Um, I get to do things that he was not able to do. Um, and so, you know, I've, uh, I've, I've chosen to, you know, talk about him and write about him. I've, you know, I've talked to groups, uh, that have experienced uh, violence in their lives. Um, yeah, it, it just makes me feel more blessed. Uh, I think it makes me to be thankful for each and every day that I'm here because, mm. you know, we don't all get to grow older yeah. in life. Yeah. Grow, growing old is a privilege. Uh, that is, yeah. that is what uh, I, I'm, I'm told many, many times. Um, so uh, before we go to our, our break here, um, I, I do want to touch on the work that you do. Um, so can you tell us, can you tell the audience uh, the work that you do? Yeah, so uh, I've been really engaged in social justice work for most for most of my career, and I chose to really focus on safety and justice. And a lot of that has been around healing work, communities that have been impacted by violence, families impacted by uh, violence. So I've, uh, I'm really involved in the last few years around restorative justice and uh, transformative justice, because I really do feel, I think, as your other uh, panelists said, about communities wrapping their arms around families mm. and individuals that have been impacted by harm and how important that is, just having those um, supports there and, and folks that uh, care about uh, care about you. So I've been really engaged in that, that sort of work in the last several years. Now, this is going to seem like an obvious question, but why did you begin this work? I think it was part of my healing process. Mm. Um, and I, I recall I was a part of a group that was coming together. I really didn't know the folks we were meeting for the first time when we were doing what you call a peacemaking circle where you come together and someone may read a passage or a poem and you uh, just talk about how that resonates uh, with you. So I it gets to me and I'm holding this, what we call a talking stick and I start to talk and it just, kind of hit me at that time uh, about the loss uh, of my father because of the poem. And I start crying uh, in front of all these folks that I, I didn't know. Of course, afterwards, I was terrified. You know, I was like, oh, my goodness, I was so vulnerable around folks I, I didn't know. But the number of people who walked up to me and just said, um, wow, how much that meant to them. Mm. And um, at the time, I was already doing some work. 
but I realized I I still had a lot of healing to to do. Mm. And so there was just some opportunities to engage in this work. And that's what, it, you know, led me to do it. Mm. And with this um, loss happening um, at, at such a young age, uh, do you still hear your father's voice? I know for myself, you know, they'll be uh, from time to time. I'll hear I'll hear my dad's voice. Hey, son, you know, checking in, you know, something something of that sort. Do you still hear your father's voice? Unfortunately, because I was so young, mm. I don't recall how uh, just the sound of his voice. I, uh, you know, for me, I have pictures of him mm. on my desk. So I feel like I'm always surrounded by him. Uh, I speak about him all the time uh, with some of my writing. I I openly talk about our relationship and what that relationship meant to me. And um I think because of that loss, the significance it's played in, in my life in terms of even the work I've chosen to do yeah. as a, a career. So, and again, although I don't hear his voice, I think I, you know, I'm surrounded by his spirit mm-hmm. and that, that has just, it, it just lives within me, you know, and it, it will always be there. Now we have with us Deb Gonzalez, uh, who is a bilingual grief counselor with Pathways Center for Grief and, and Loss. So um, first and foremost, Deb, Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Marquis, for having me here today. Yes, indeed. So, uh, so we we talked about uh, the, this huge, huge emotion called called grief. Uh, so, this is going to uh, seem like a large question here, but where can we begin um, to start the healing process for for grief, or how should we begin the healing process when dealing with grief? Well, grief is individual right? It's what is grief to you is mm. not to me, right? So we all grieve different things, different losses. Um, and in this case, we are talking about Southern losses. Mm-hmm. Um, we start the process of grief from the moment that we know that that person had died. That is that intense feeling that you receive, that you're, it's in your gut feeling, that you feel that you can breathe, that you feel that, um, something big has happened. Mm. And I think that Kara explained very well, you know, when she learned about the loss and the way that she reacted physically and emotionally. Mm. And um, how do sudden and unexpected deaths affect our physical well-being? Well, that's a great question. Affects all the part of us, as affect us physically, emotionally, cognitive, spiritual, you know, we have this or reactions to that. Sometimes we can't breathe. I think that Kara also mentioned that she felt stiff mm. and the great emo- emotion that she had, that she had to hit the windows on McDonald's, right? So that is a body reaction to this immense pain that we are receiving and we don't know how to work with it at that moment. Mm. Now, um, between our 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 two other guests, um, we saw the the difference uh, with with Oliette. Um, she didn't have social media during during her time. Uh, versus Kira, finding out, you know, basically via social media. Does does that play a role in in, in the way you find out, especially being on social media? That, that does that take a, a role, take a toll on your mental health? 
It does. Um, I think they care very well mentioned, you know, when this person send the information via Snapchat and then others had shared. So she didn't even had the information from her parents or mm. from the police or from someone that could deliver the news in a different way. It was done like one more thing that we are sharing right now in Facebook or Snapchat or any other social media. So it takes away that privacy, mm. um, that comfort that other people could offer to her at the time and put her into that situation just right there and then. Um, with with no support, even the other people became supportive of her, but they didn't know what was going on either. Mm. So yeah, so it does affect people um, emotionally, physically, and she spoke about anger as well, you know, finding out this way. So it affects in many, many ways, especially because you might not have the person that could comfort or provide the right information to you. Mm. And and how about the the person that has to deliver the message um, to the person that their loved one has has passed on? Um, I, I'll use myself as an example. When I found out uh, that my mother in law passed um, suddenly from a heart attack, I I sat with that for about two hours uh, because my wife was taking a, a nap and I did not know how to deliver that message um, uh, to her. So to the person um, that, that is delivering the message, uh, is there some kind of uh, mental fight that's going on with them? Well, it is very hard to talk about this at any age. And, you know, so if there's a policeman delivering the the news mm. versus you as a person delivering the news to your wife, right? So you already processed that you had a little time to process that for yourself. And then you were going to deliver that to the best of your ability, mm. right? And then try to be for her as supportive as you could, yeah. right? So the process of delivering a, a news, it's one that sometimes people take on their own, like in Kiara's case, it was through social media. Mm -hmm. And there are other circumstances where um, in the militia, for example, um, someone knocks at your door. Mm -hmm. There's no phone call or anything like that. that someone delivered that news in person. So, of course, all this impacts in the way that you receive the news as yeah. well. Um, but any of us, you know, at some point we had to deliver bad news to yeah. someone, right? It's just taking a minute, breathing, analyzing what you could say, and then deliver that um news to the best of the ability with the information that you have not adding or taking away. Mm. And that is the truth for adults and the truth for children as well. Now, how can we navigate triggers? Um, it, because as we dis discussed, um, this comes in waves. This, this grief, yeah. this, this emotional feeling comes in waves. And we all heard and know about triggers. So how can we navigate these triggers? Because even um, Oliette brought up um, listening to Jimi Hendrix and, mm -hmm. and, and so forth. So how can we navigate these? So music, uh, food, places, events. Um, Oliette spoke about milestones, mm. you know, as a child, you know, graduating from high school, getting married. All these are milestones, you know, having children. She also mentioned the age. 
thank you for doing that because there's a lot of people that have lost their parents very young. And when they reach that age, some she spoke about being blessed of getting older. Mm -hmm. And for others, it's like a guilt. Like I made it to this and he didn't or she didn't. Right. So there's always like two sides to the same story. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult when you see that milestone and you feel like, oh, my God, you know, like now I'm the age of my mom or my dad, you know, what that means to me. Um, so it could bring us also to a lot of questionings, you know, um, I have done this. Do I like feel like I have achieved? Do you, I feel I have to do more? Do I feel that I have let them down? You know, so mm. there's a lot of things in triggers that sometimes pass by ourselves and we don't think about them, but it could be a date. It could be an hour, you know, it could be a phone call that you did once a week. So it could be the supermarket that you went in and just saw the things that you used to buy for them. Yeah. So triggers means all of those things, how you deal with them is what helps you by recognizing them is the first thing, you know, mm -hmm. recognizing that that's a trigger um, and creating the, new memories in a new relationship with that person mm. because it's not a physical like it used to be but more emotional and spiritual and that is the integration of that person of our lives oh wow wow i love that um you you mentioned um guilt so what role does guilt play in the emotional aftermath of, of sudden loss well, you know, um, guilt for different reasons. Um, guilt because I wasn't there. Um, guilt because I didn't say something. Guilt because it was the last time that we were together, we didn't talk in group, good terms, or I haven't seen him or her in a while. So mm. guilt can be for different situations, um, a different point in our life. Um, when we have those feelings of guilt, sometimes uh, we had placed in ourselves expectations that we couldn't meet, mm. right? Like, I feel guilty that sh that person died. I would have given my life for that, right? But that's not realistic. Mm. And that wouldn't happen, right? So it's, it's all this that is in our mind and how we view things, the perception of things that make us feel guilty. Like I could have done more or I should have or would have. Mm. And, uh, and then it comes back as guilt to us. What I try to tell people is like, let's think about this. How do you think that you could have really effectively made a difference, right? And even if you would have, it wasn't at the time. Sometimes we don't have the information at that time. And we make our decision with the best information that we have at that time. Mm -hmm. Of course, later on, we will learn more and know more, but we can't fix what we did before. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, Deb, why is it common for individuals to replay uh, the details of, of the events in their minds about this uh, sudden death and loss? Because we are trying to make sense. We mm. are trying to make sense of what happened. And, you know, we are affected by these losses, uh, different age in our lives, right? So um, at one point, um, this is what this loss meant to me. Um, at, this, at this other point, this is what it meant to me. So we revised the situation. We want to make sure that we remember the situation, even if it could be painful as painful can be, but we want to, we don't want to forget them. Mm. And because we don't want to forget them, we want to have our facts straight, 
even they it might not be the real facts, but those are to us. Mm. Um, and we want to make sure that people know the story the way that I'm telling the story, right? Um, for Kiara, unfortunately, she didn't have someone that could um, support her and tell the story. For Aliette, I heard, you know, that someone told her, the, you know, what had happened. Mm. So it's different. So, yeah, the revisiting of the events, I think that Kiara and Aliette did a very good job taking us uh, through what happened and when it happened and how it happened and the feelings that they had. So we don't forget. Yeah. Um, we could relate to our loved ones, not through the pain. We could evolve, evolve through and create a healthy relationship um, of remembering and rituals like I heard from Oliette. And that was very interesting because she, she spoke about support groups, even though she didn't mention it as support groups, but it was a group and she spoke and she cried and all that. And that made sense. And mm. others were there for her, supporting her at that moment. Even there was so how many years after, mm. right? Um, it was her processing of that loss in that moment they make sense this has been a fantastic panel i want to thank you all for for agreeing to do this i i i am feeling great i i am telling you that i am ready to go outside and tackle a bull uh that's how um you know invigorated i'm i'm really feeling right now so uh deb uh, this one is for you um successful tactics when dealing with grief what do they look like First of all, kindness to ourselves and self-compassion. Mm. Those are the two things that we miss because we want to fix everything, but we don't think about that. So self-compassion gives you the grace, you know, to be with yourself and not have the need to fix it. And you are there with yourself, which sometimes we don't do, right? Mm. Um, kindness to herself is because I want to treat myself like my best friend. Like uh, if somebody's in grief and my best friend is in grief, I would say, you need to take care of you. You need to take it easy. You need to others to help you. Right. So I want to do that for myself. I want to make sure that I am taking care of myself and then normalizing our loss. Sometimes mm. we think that we are the only ones that are going through that type of loss. And uh, for example, here at the Pathway Center for Grief and Loss, we have support groups uh, for different losses, loss of a child, loss of a parent, um, loss of a spouse. And then we have different workshops throughout the year also did target different losses like sudden death and mm. loss by suicide and mm. other different losses. So when you attend those groups um, and people are talking about their grief, then it's very similar like yours. So it helps you normalize your grief. It helps to place it in a space that you can understand that this is more than what you thought, mm. right? And that you have to give you the space and the grace to work with it. Um, Kira, for you, how do you successfully walk in your grief? Um, it's honestly been a bumpy path here and there. Mm. Um, it took me a long time to even process it. So I think it's honestly a more recent thing that I've been able to successfully um, walk in it because, um, like Deb was saying, I've been more focused on myself and more focused on taking care of me and letting myself sit in those emotions when I didn't for like six years, mm. um, took me a long time. And so I now like let myself, I make sure I don't distract myself all the time. Mm -hmm. I still do it, but I try to do it a lot less. And I just kind of like let myself sit in that. And I'll typically 
um, go to a lot of like creative outlets. Um, I like poetry and music, um, sometimes even just drawing, even though I can't draw great. Um, and that, that really helps. So. Yeah. And, and, um, and Oliet, uh, for, for you, how do you successfully walk in your grief? Yeah, I, I think it's been really open uh, and talking about my relationship with my dad. Um, I've, I've spoken about it to, to various groups. Uh, I, I write, um, I've written essays. Um, and again, I keep a picture of him on, on my, my desk and, mm. um, yeah, listening to music, those creative outlets have been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also, uh, been involved with work there, there are a lot of, uh, folks who are counselors and, uh, and, um, supporting other folks and I, I think just being around them where I can be open uh you know about moments where I may may have a a memory or listening to something and you know it for a moment and just being able to be open about it and I, I will say too I've learned to be more vulnerable and open with my husband about mm. when I'm having those moments and yeah, whereas in the past I think I was more of a in a state of trying to protect myself Mm. And uh, and now I think through growth, um, yeah, I feel more comfortable about being vulnerable and just being open about what I'm feeling. And uh, and I want to uh, um, talk about that, um, um, Oliette. Um, I'm going to ask you this, and, and then, uh, uh, Kara, y- you can um, answer this as well. Um, Oliette, what was the turning point for yourself uh, when, when dealing with, with this grief, when when you became, uh, for lack of better terms here, bigger than the grief? I think it might have been those many years ago when I was a part of that group. And in that moment, hearing that poem and how it resonated with me and just having that flood of emotions mm. and being vulnerable in that moment. And, and I think that was really the first time I really opened up about... Uh, you know, my relationship with my father and the loss of my father. I think I I think it had been something I just buried in terms of emotions. Mm. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, we didn't really think about a therapist at the time, right? Mm. Or that there was a process that we could uh, potentially go through, right, with some support. And I think at that moment, it was it was so profound for me and I was really vulnerable at the time you know again I was like oh my goodness I can't believe I've just opened up and cried in front of complete strangers <laughs> but I think in some ways it was such a relief for me and that opened up the door for me to uh really start to explore mm. those emotions that I had buried away for so many years and and Kira for you, um, when was the turning point for you um, when when you became bigger than your grief? I just want to say, Olia, like, really nails it on the head with a lot <laughs> of what she says. Um, I would say mine is a collection of many little moments. I think it started as soon as I had freedom at college because I really was becoming a parent for my parents for a bit. Mm. Um, just to kind of, I felt like I was kind of holding the family together. So I think once I had that freedom to be with myself is kind of when I started therapy as well again. And I think I just kind of like broke down a few times because I just realized there was so much inside that I hadn't even known was there. Mm. Um, Cause I was so good at distracting myself and, you know, distracting myself with others. And so it's kind of been a collection over time. Um, more so recently where like, I'll have moments um, like was mentioned where I'll talk with my dad very openly and honest about what had happened. And that's, 
is it really changes your mind about some things or opens your mind to different perspectives because both of my parents were so closed off for so long mm. that now knowing how they're actually feeling about some of it and talking through that with them, I still struggle to be vulnerable. So I won't always like go deep with him, but mm. I, I like at least hearing it and sitting with him in the moments and um, same with my mom. Um, and I think just, like I said, a little collection of those moments really helps you to kind of like, you know, open your mind to it more, sit with it and, mm um process all of it yes yes indeed and and deb for the person that is uh at home right now that that is uh currently dealing uh with with grief and and don't know what to do with mm -hmm. all of these emotions what would mm -hmm. you say to them well first of all for all of those that have different losses you know our condolences to all of them mm-hmm you know, like Kiara and Oliet said, grief comes in waves, meaning that we could be okay at this moment and half an hour from now we can be crying or we feel too emotional, right? Or we don't want to be outside because we want to isolate ourselves from those feelings and people not asking us and all these kind of things, right? Sometimes um, the debt also can be public, so there's more attention into that. Mm. So you do what works for you, right? And that means that if you can't go to the supermarket around the corner, so go to a further one. Um, if you go to church and you feel like you don't want to go to church at 10 in the morning that you used to, so then go to the service in the evening. Mm. You know, make adjustments in your life so you can accommodate a space for your grief. Please do not run away from your grief. Do not push it through down you know and ignore because like Kara and Oliet said grief will come back in yeah. different ways and then when it comes back it's like bigger than what you thought just like Kara said you know overwhelming and now you have to deal with that so surround yourself from caring friends um, had someone that you really can talk if people are saying you should be okay in six months a year that's not right that's right. not okay we had had a relationship for the longest time. I said, if I'm 50 years old, that's the relationship that I had had with my parents. So I can't just ignore. So take care of yourself, be your best friend. 